So by the time we become adolescents, by the time we become adults, what ends up happening is that we don't really trust our inner instincts. And we have this like internal conflict of like, oh, should I do that? Should I not do that? Well, this is what my parents would have said, but I really still want this and I need this, you know, and sometimes that can even lead to feelings of shame, right? Like I must be a bad kid because I want to do all these things that, you know, is, is generally not okay. Um, and, you know, again, I'm going to say like our assumption is that it's generally not okay with the world when in reality, it just wasn't okay with our parents. Good morning, good afternoon, good evening, everyone. You are listening to Don't Be Afraid to Talk podcast with James. If you are listening for the first time, you are welcome. Talking and listening is key for growth, and I hope our stories will bring us together and we can draw inspiration from each other. Conversation will include topics such as mental and physical health, trauma and its effect, suicidal thoughts, recovery, and well-being. We will continue to raise awareness and offer a different perspective a mindset or an idea that could inspire you to take charge of your well-being and to grow as a human being. Thank you for joining us today for another episode of Ask the Therapist. Today I'm joined by Dr. Betsy. And we're going to be talking about all things in relation to the wounded child. If you are listening, have an open mind, and we hope you can learn something from this episode. Dr. Bessie, how are you? Oh my God, I'm so warm. I'm good. Thank you so much for having me. God, sorry, I'm so warm. Jesus Christ. Um, <laughs> <laughs> um, do you mind just telling us a little bit about yourself? please. Sure. Um, So I am from Los Angeles, California. I know that you're all the way on the (laughs) other side of the world. And um, yeah, (laughs) yeah, yeah. And I was able to look, um, you know, look up some of your other podcast episodes. And I noticed that a lot of the people that you've worked with are, you know, in in Europe. And so I was kind of happy. I was like, Oh, that's cool. Yeah. Like, you, you know, I get to yeah, uh-huh. I like to expand. <laughs> yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, so I specialize in um, self-esteem and relationships, healthy relationships. Um, I've been doing this, I would say, like specializing in these these two areas, I would say for about like, you know, six, seven years now. Mm. Um Earlier in my career, I was like just trying so many different things. I think before I went to grad school, I thought I wanted to work with the Chinese community because my background is Chinese. I thought I wanted to work with um, adolescents because uh, my own experiences growing up as a Chinese adolescent coming from a conservative family, um, I thought like, you know what, I could probably do some good. I can be helpful and, mm. you know, with that community and it helped kind of bridge the gap between, um, you know, older generations and uh, younger generations. And I, I would say that um, it, it's interesting because now that I think about it, I think I've kind of come full circle. Like I don't necessarily work with adolescents. However, I do work with um, a lot of young people, um, young adults that do kind of struggle mm. with their Asian identity, their Asian American identity. Um, and um you know, the way I got into relationships was there was, you know, some point in my career where I was working with clients and there were just things that I realized like, wow, like every single client I work with there, you know, in the underlying, a lot of their difficulties is that their relationships with other people Mm. are off. You know, they don't know how to relate. They don't know how to express their feelings in relationships. Um, And a lot of times that, that traces back to their childhood relationships with their caregivers. Um, so that kind of sparked my interest in learning more about relationships, um, how to have help people have healthy ones. Um, and then in talking about relationships, I think that it also relates very much to our relationships with ourselves as well. Um, you know, how do we treat ourselves? How do we view ourselves? Um, what role do we assume that we play in the world? Um, 
and you know how do we view ourselves in a positive or negative light um so you know i would generally say that yeah i work with relationships with the self and others <laughs> yeah um i don't work with couples i think that um that's one thing that a lot of people you don't um, work with are couples. sometimes confused about no, I don't work with couples at all. In fact, um, I, I I turn down a lot of um, a lot of couples just because that's not really where my specialty mm. is. You know, I think that couples therapy is very different from individual therapy, and um, so for me, it's like I I want to stick to what I know, and then if somebody needs help with their you know their with with their relationship then i'll leave that to mm. a couples therapist yeah yeah <laughs> yeah that's great yeah because when you say like relationship you just kind of assume it's couples relationship as well but it's more relationship with yourself and others but not as a couple yeah 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 so the way i like to explain to people is um that, for instance, like relationships with others is not just romantic relationships. It's family relationships. Mm. It's friendships. It's um, professional relationships. Relationship with a boss. So, you know, for me, what I how I work with people is I help them understand certain patterns that they might be having in their relationships, um, and to help them develop um, healthier ways of resolving conflicts, healthier ways of getting their needs met in relationships, and maybe even recognizing sometimes is this even a healthy relationship to begin with? Mm. You know, is this what I what I want for myself? So, um, yeah, just basically anything relationship as long as you don't bring the other person in. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> I help you deal with the other. <laughs> Yeah. Person, but you know, I help yeah. you individually yeah. to deal with Don't bring person. them into the room. <laughs> right. <laughs> brilliant, brilliant. Um great. Before we get going, uh, we're just going to play a quick game one for one. <laughs> okay. I'll give it word and you say the first thing that comes to your mind. Yes, these are just random words, five. So okay. the first one is carrot. Carrot. Rabbit. <laughs> My dad's a rabbit in the Chinese horoscope, so rabbit. <laughs> um, yellow. Oh, submarine. Speedboat. Oh, my husband. <laughs> I can explain these, actually, but yeah, I kind of like this. <laughs> Yoga. <laughs> oh, man. Hot. Sweaty. And last one is tangerines. Hmm. Chinese culture. Yeah, tangerines. Yeah. Uh huh. Okay. Yeah. yeah. I, can, can I can I get a little background on that? Yeah, I was thinking like the fruit, but yeah. <laughs> oh, what what what, what what were you referring to when you said tangerine? The fruit. Oh yeah, yeah. I was thinking the fruit too. The reason why okay, I say Chinese culture. Is because yeah, yeah. Um, my my mom she is um, she's Buddhist and so growing up um, you, you know like every single week she would go to the market and purchase fruits that she would put on a plate and kind of offer to the ancestors and um, and tangerines is one of the fruits that she used to always buy and I never really liked it but she always bought it. <laughs> Every time I think of tangerine, I think of like tangerines stacked on a plate that my mom would offer to ancestors. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, that, that would do it. Yeah. <laughs> brilliant. Brilliant. Yeah. Yeah. So that's five words. Yeah. Sorry. Yeah. Brilliant. Brilliant. Thank you very much. Thank you. Um, we get going. So first question. Hi, Betsy. I often struggle... Sorry, let me start again. Hey, Betsy, I often struggle to trust people in a relationship, but I trust others, other people that I meet. Why is that happening? So I'm assuming that what they mean by trust people in a relationship is that, you know, they struggle to trust people in a romantic relationship. Yeah, yeah. So this is where I don't really, I find it hard to trust my partner, but I trust everyone else outside <laughs> Yeah. 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 So this tends to happen because in romantic relationships, um, it tends to elicit a stronger attachment response than platonic relationships. And so, so because of the nature of a romantic relationship is so intimate, it kind of reminds our mind and body of like earlier familial relationships, because in both romantic relationships 
and family relationships, what we're really looking for is we're looking to bond with the person. We're looking to um, establish a certain level of security. And so therefore, you know, in both of these types of relationships, we tend to kind of use the same kinds of methods um, you know, from our early intimate relationships in our adult relationships to get those needs met. Mm. So for instance, you know, if I, you know, if as a child, the way that I needed to get attention from my parents was by maybe being rebellious or maybe, um, crying very loud, then as adults, what we also do is like, okay, in order to get this person to give me the attention and the, the um, attachment that I crave from them, I'm going to use the same methods, you know, so, so the reason why we tend to, you know, like, let's say struggle to trust people in a romantic relationship is maybe because we, you know, fail to trust our caregivers um, mm. to be able to meet our needs. Um, you know, like, let's just say that, um, as a child, um, you know, let's say crying, for instance, right? Like mm. maybe crying wasn't something that was okay. And it felt like, you know, it, it felt like um, when we did cry that our parents wouldn't give us attention, they wouldn't care about our needs. As adults, we might struggle to trust that our parents that that are not parents, but as adults, we might struggle to, to trust that our partners are going to be there for us if we actually show them our feelings. And so that's just an example of, you know, why in our romantic relationships, we might sometimes approach those in a different way than we do in friendships or other kinds of relationships. Mm. It does so obviously down a subconscious level, like, you know, yeah, like you might want to trust them, but deep down, you don't really want to trust them. Sure. Yeah. It kind of elicits yeah. that similar response. Right. It's like you're, you're just not mm. really sure. And, you know, the goal really, even though it might seem like we don't trust the person or sometimes it might even look like we're distancing ourselves from the person. But in the end of mm. the day, the goal really is to try to get closer to the person. Right. So like, um, you know, when when, for instance, we might, um, you know, push away somebody or we might not be honest about our feelings about, uh, about certain things, it's because we believe that our feelings are going to drive the person away. So by not talking about our feelings, we believe that, OK, that's going to preserve the relationship. You know, so so, yeah, it's a lot of similarities between our childhood uh, caregiver relationships and and our romantic ones in adulthood. Mm. This this sounds like all my relationships, but no. <laughs> <Let's go. laughs> um yeah, sorry, question number two. Sorry, forget that. <laughs> um so becoming rebellious teen or adult, how do we become a rebel when we're good children growing up? Mm -hmm. I think that's a really good question because you know, there's different reasons why people might be rebellious, but I think that um, typically when children are obedient up to a certain point, um, a lot of times it could come from a childhood background of just, um, you know, uh, that's very conservative or maybe controlled by the parents. Um, children just naturally have this need to explore the world, right? Like they have this natural curiosity. It's like, oh, what's that? What's that? Because that's their way of yeah. learning about the world. Um, and parents, while their job is to protect their children, their job is also to um, help their children make sense of things that happen versus just prevent their children from being exposed to danger. And so as a result, um, you, you know, by the time these children get to a certain age, they're very limited in their experiences. They're limited in their knowledge about the world. They might be limited in their emotions and their feelings. So for instance, um, if a child was raised to be very, very responsible, maybe it felt good for them to be responsible as a child, but then they, you know, but maybe their parents didn't give them a lot of space to experience joy or, you know, mm. just sometimes like sit there and be lazy and watch TV. So perhaps as, you know, once these children grow up and they start to be exposed to more, they start to develop a little bit more freedom and independence, um, they start to discover feelings, experiences that they're just, again, naturally curious about, yet at the same time, they don't feel like they can go to their parents 
to learn about these things because their parents mm. never taught them. And maybe their parents were um, controlling or authoritarian. So what that would do is it would discourage the children from going to their parents. And, you know, what they would do instead is gravitate towards other people that are more accepting of certain behaviors, um, you know, such as like drugs and alcohol or, um, you know, um, just just generally doing things that were not allowed as children. Mm. Um, oftentimes what that can do is it causes friction between the children and the parents, which can, you know, eventually create even more problems and causing the child to further mm. distance themselves from the parents. So that doesn't always happen. Um, you know, sometimes it could just simply be that the children are learning more things and doing things that uh, were not okay by the parents, even though it's not necessarily bad. So sometimes the children aren't mm. even rebellious. Um, this kind of thinks of, makes me think of my own experience growing up. Um, you know, I, I, when I was in college, I was exposed to a lot of different experiences that I had never had the opportunity to learn about. Um, and so I would go out late at night till three in the morning and I would try alcohol when I was underage. And I remembered feeling like such a bad kid for it. I was like, oh my God, I'm so rebellious. But yeah, you know, I remember one one day one of my roommates, she's like, You're not rebellious. So I was like, why am I not rebellious? She's like, You're in college, you're you know, getting your good grades, you're working towards graduation. Like, how are you rebellious? And I thought about it, I was like, wow, I just called myself rebellious because I was doing things that I knew my mom was wouldn't. Deemed. Yeah, yeah. And so I think that, you know, when it comes to, I guess, labeling something as rebellious, it's also we need to, you know, make sure that we pay attention to the context as well. Is like, you know, is this actually rebellious behavior or is it just something that our parents wouldn't have been okay with? Is it something that would have caused conflict between you and your parents, even though, you mm. know, all you're trying to do is just learn more about the world? Yeah, yeah. And do you think, this is not one of the questions, do you think when, say, like that a teenager started discovering new things and because the way they were brought up, they were not allowed to express certain things. So when they, when they become 16, they start discovering, oh, we can do this, we can do that. So obviously they, they, they don't have to trust to tell their parents because they feel like they're going to be <laughs> smacked or whatever. So mm -hmm. can that relationship be, be repaired? Absolutely. Yeah. I think that as children, you know, well, actually, I, I don't want to make that blanket statement, um, you know, in order to somehow suggest to everyone that every single parent relationship with their child can be repaired in adulthood. However, um, you know, based on my work, based on my observation, um, there are many, many things that we can do to heal, not just ourselves, but our relationship with our parents. Um, I think as children, um, our parents are so, so important to us that our parents, they basically represent the world, meaning that, mm. you know, when we're kids, we don't look at our parents as just another human being. You know, we don't look at our parents like values and the things that they teach us mm -hmm. as oh, that's just what my mom thinks. That's just what my dad thinks. We look at what they have to say as representative of the world, right? Like that's a truth about life. And so what ends up happening when we're children is that we start to believe our parents, everything that they say, and that becomes part of our personality and part of how we view the world. So by the time we hit adolescence, um, sometimes it could cause us to have that natural curiosity, but then at the same time, also question that natural curiosity as well, right? So for instance, if you're a kid and you really liked to climb on things all the time and every single time your parents screamed at you for climbing on things because, you know, they didn't want you to get hurt, then, you know, the message that you would get as a child is, oh, these things that I want to do, these natural things that I want to do are really bad. You know, so don't mm. trust that that little that little part of you on the inside that says, hey, go do this. Go try this. <laughs> yeah, do that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So by the time yeah. we become adolescents, by the time we become adults, 
what ends up happening is that we don't really trust our inner instincts and we have this like internal conflict of like, oh, should I do that? Should I not do that? Mm. Well, this is what my parents would have said, but I really still want this and I need this, you know, and sometimes that can even lead to feelings of shame, right? Like I must be a bad kid because I want to do all these things that, you know, is, is generally not okay. Um, and, you know, again, I'm going to say like our assumption is that it's generally not okay with the world when in reality, it just wasn't okay with our parents, you know? So mm. I think as adults, um, a really big part of healing is to be able to start recognizing our parents as flawed human beings, you know, being able to recognize that, okay, these messages that I received, um, it doesn't mean they're all wrong or all bad. Um, but we get to start recognizing, okay, my parents are just flawed human beings like I am. And mm -hmm. what are some values that I do want to take with me? What are some values and beliefs and you know messages that I received from them that I don't agree with? And how can I, I guess, create my own perspective of the world, my own way yeah. of dealing with the world. Yeah. So I think that a lot of times once we can get to that point of recognizing that our parents are imperfect and, you know, they yeah. don't know everything, um, a lot of times that allows us to start to develop a more compassionate relationship with them or maybe even more forgiving. Um, this is not to say, again, that every single relationship should or can get there. Yeah. Yeah. Brilliant. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> Next question. <laughs> Why do I always feel guilty of my progress, regardless of how great things may be? So the first thing that comes up to me with this question is um, I kind of can relate to that, too. Um, I, I think of survivor guilt. So if I can maybe explain a little bit of, I guess, like my experience with like feeling guilty of progress and guilty of achievements. Mm. Um, my parents mm. were immigrants here, you know, here in the United States. Um, they came in their late 20s, early 30s with nothing. Um, and, you know, my both of my parents, they, they worked really, really hard to be able to build up to the life that they have today. And they ended up having five children, five children that are able to take care of themselves and are successful. And I think that where my survivor guilt comes from sometimes is that growing up watching my parents struggle as much as they did, um, it really it made me feel bad. And, you know, I was taught to not overspend. I was taught to not ask for a lot. So now as an adult, my life is just so much better because of them. You know, I was able to go to school. I had a mm. generally safe family home environment. Um, and I, um, you know, and now I am a psychologist in my own right. And um, able to take care of myself and afford to buy things that my parents couldn't afford when I was growing up. So sometimes it's, you know, while I'm able to recognize my my achievements and my progress, at the same time, there's this part of me that feels a little bit bad. Like I look at my parents and sometimes I wish like mm. that they could live the life that I live. Um, and so it's interesting because my parents don't even care to live the life that I live. So like, for example, um, yeah, like, no. like um, for me, one thing that I've learned is I'm willing to spend money on self-care, meaning that I pay to see a therapist when I need, I pay to go see a chiropractor when I need. Um, I worked with a, um, a, an acupuncturist. So I'm willing to pay money to, be able to feel good and take care of me. And I'm lucky because I don't have any children. So um, I am able to kind of meet those kinds of needs for myself. And so sometimes when I talk to my parents and I see them still living a very frugal lifestyle, I feel really bad about it. And I try to push them to spend more money. It's like, you know what, you guys work so hard and you've got all this money. Yeah. Like, you, like spend it, you know, live a better life for yourself. Yeah. And, I, yeah. and then I realized that they don't even want that, yeah. you know? So I, I think that, you know, what I kind of realized is that sometimes this guilt 
is really my own thing and it's not really based on a reality that my parents um you know want a different life um mm. so yeah like I, I guess like that's that's what what it reminded me of when you were you know when you asked like you know the guilt of your progress um regardless of how great things might be mm. so you, you obviously creating some ideas in your head that's not even real they're happy to do what they want to do but mm-hmm. you feel like <laughs> yeah and I think that you know maybe to to explain it a little bit further is like as a child I I, I had this sense of guilt um, I had this sense of wanting to take care of my parents so like for instance every time um, you know I, I, I for me I had two older sisters um, and a younger sister and a younger brother but when I was the youngest um, um, I remembered that my sisters would get like clothes when we would go shopping. And for me, I always kind of ended up with the hand-me-downs. Um, and I hated that because it's like I had two older sisters. And so they always got to go shopping and buy what they wanted. <laughs> and then when I wanted something, my mom would be like, oh, you're going to fit your sister's clothes pretty soon. So you can just yeah, have that. Just but it's that like, one, yeah. <laughs> right. And I hated it because I had two sets of clothes that I had to go through before I could get my own stuff. <laughs> And the thing that w- the message that was always sent to me was that, you know, we don't have that much money and we need to learn how to save. Um, if I ever wanted, um, you know, let's say to buy Christmas presents for friends, right? Like I would always have to buy like the really, really cheap ones. And so that helped, that made me conscious about money and conscious of taking care of my parents. Um, it wasn't intentional by my parents. I don't think that they meant for me to take care of them, but the message that I received definitely was like, you know, we don't have that much. And so you need to be more careful about the things that you want. And I think that, you know, because that message was never corrected for me growing up, that's why now as an adult, I still kind of have that thought sometimes whenever I want to take care of myself is that, you know, like, um, you know, are you thinking about your parents before you spend money? Are you thinking about other people before you spend money? Yeah. 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 I I think for children as well, because they, they personalize things. If something is not explained to them, they just think it's something that like it's their fault or something. Yeah. Yeah. And that's the thing with kids is that they're, they're very egocentric, right? Like um, they have no concept of empathy when they're very young. They have no concept of, you know, the fact that other people have their own experiences. And so, um, you know, when mom and dad get upset and get in an argument, the children aren't able to say like, oh, dad must have been in a bad mood today or mom must mm. have been hurt by dad, you know, saying that thing to her or whatever. They, they, children have no concept of that. So the only way that they can make sense of the world is by what they've been exposed to so far. And what they've been exposed to so far is just their own personal experiences and their relationships with their parents. Um that's why, like, I, I really like what you said right now. It's like, that's why it's so important for parents to help children make sense of things that are happening, um, to explain things to kids. So, for example, when, uh, you know, two parents are engaged in a conflict, it's really important to sit the kids down and say, this has nothing to do with you. You know, like, sometimes yeah. mommy and daddy are just not going to agree on things, but this is not your fault. You know, and and kids have a tendency to believe their parents, right? Because again, their parents Mm. are, you know, the the boss of the world. And so when parents Mm. are able to kind of reassure their kids, then they don't, then the kids are less likely to feel responsible for things that are happening around them. Mm. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Move on to my next question. (laughs) Okay. So this one, okay. I have to explain this question. So why do we do what was done to us? So an example is say, for example, someone that was beaten by their father when they have a child they'll probably do the same to their child as well mm-hmm. so why does that happen when you used to be the one getting beaten that you're the one inflicting the pain yeah. so is that because we learned that's the only way to to parent mm-hmm. yeah um oftentimes that is the case i think that we tend to repeat behaviors that we're familiar with. Um, Mm. And, you know, 
the thing is, is that as children, um, the ways that our parents treat us, it affects the children in multiple ways. One is that the children internalize the way that their parents treat them. So for instance, when you're talking about an abusive parent, um, you know, when a child is 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 constantly being abused either emotionally or physically or maybe even sexually what ends up happening is that again they are egocentric so the the children internalize that as there must be something wrong with me you know i did something to deserve that and especially mm-hmm. when the parents are overreactive when the parents are unpredictable that becomes even more confusing and shameful for the children because it's like okay like i guess that there's just something generally wrong with me it's not that i do things wrong it's that you know i'm just not a very worthy person i'm not valuable and so that's mm-hmm. one way that children internalize their parents treatment of them the second way that the parents can affect the children is that they model certain behaviors on how to respond to these types of situations. So for instance, if a child only learned that let, let's say both mom and dad are very abusive, then what what happens is that they only learn that oh that's how you respond when you're angry. Right? Like whenever mm. something somebody does something wrong, um you know that that's how you're supposed to show your emotion and that's how you get the person to stop doing whatever it is that they're doing wrong right so we learn that like okay like that's how we respond to things the goal over time is to be able to learn new ways to respond to stimuli because by continuing to hurt other people it's not helping us preserve bonds that we really mm. actually want you know and so that's why it's really important that we recognize these kinds of patterns that are not helpful um, to the kinds of healthy relationships that we want to be in and learn how to change our responses. Mm. Yeah, especially with, um, when it comes down to like physical abuse. I know like generations now is getting better, but like when you talk 50s and 60s, it was pretty much, that's how you train your child, for example. Yeah, yeah. And, and when you grow up, you think, okay, this is how it was done. So this is what I do as well. There wasn't much awareness around child abuse. So it was considered normal. Yeah. So, yeah. And I think yeah. that another thing that is really important um, about just parental abuse of their children is that oftentimes it's justified as punishment, but it's really a loss of temper, you know, and and I don't want to say like a hundred percent of the time that it's a loss of temper. Uh, But that's why, you know, using any kind of, um, you know, capital punishment is really problematic because when parents lose their temper and they don't know how to contain these very strong emotions that they have, Mm. they tend to take that energy out on their children. And so, you know, maybe they're, they're annoyed that their children won't stop making sounds when they're trying to rest. And rather than being able to communicate that to their children because they never learned what effective communication or, you know, or what effective parenting looks like, they might get upset and they Mm. you know and and they'll lose their temper and then they'll end up hitting their children and sometimes you know the more angry they are the more likely that they'll hit their children even harder so that's why hitting children can be very problematic is that you know research has shown that um physical uh, physical punishment actually doesn't really do anything if anything it actually causes more pain emotional pain for Mm. the children yeah. 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 That's what it does. Yeah. Thank you. My next question. Hi, I remember not being able to express my anger growing up. Do you think this is why I find it hard to be happier? That's a interesting question. I, I guess that I can't necessarily say that not being able to express anger affects our ability to generally be happy. However, 
I know that not being able to express anger as a child can affect our ability to ever feel, I guess, like be, be intimate in relationships, emotionally intimate. Um, and the reason for that is, is that emotional intimacy is achieved by being extremely vulnerable and authentic, right? Like to be able to be mm. known and seen. So one of the thing, the ways that I like to explain to my clients what vulnerability and intimacy is, is if I were to, let's say, remove my face and you're able to look inside behind my face and look at my brain and look at how I think and look at, you know, my feelings and just who I am as a person and you still love me. That's what intimacy is. And you being able to see everything that's vulnerability, you know, and I think that in our lives, we always need at least one person in our lives that we feel truly, truly knows us. And when we know that somebody truly knows us and loves us and accepts us anyway, um, you know, despite knowing all our flaws and knowing everything about us, that leads yeah. to security, <laughs> right? Is that like, okay, this person knows everything about me and they still love me. That means that I know that they have my back no matter what. That means that I know 10 years from now, this person is still going to be in my life. And that's what I think that humans mm. need in order to be able to feel safe that we need that sense of belonging. We're, we're social animals. Um, and when we're unable to express our anger, you know, if that was in any way um, prohibited, if we were punished for expressing anger, then what ends up happening is that there's this whole part of us that needs to be suppressed and hidden away from the world. And, you know, again, as children, mm -hmm. when... Our, and when our parents tell us it's not okay to express anger, and we believe that that is the will of the world, then as we get older, mm -hmm. we're going to continue to operate in relationships as if it's not okay to express our anger. So you see what ends up happening is that we're basically engaging in every single relationships, holding back this part of ourselves and never really allowing ourselves to be truly known and truly you know, accepted by anybody. So, mm. so I, I do think that not being able to express our angers, anger um, growing up leads to general loneliness. And, you know, it, it's hard to ever feel truly fulfilled and truly at peace because we're just constantly needing to suppress and withhold this one side of us. Mm. If you're in a relationship and you, you kind of have that part holding back, like you will, obviously not really be you'll be in a relationship but you won't really be vulnerable in a relationship because you have that part that you're afraid to well you're not afraid you just you learned not to yeah not to show it. yeah yeah and I think anger is also such an interesting it, it, it's a it's a very special emotion because everybody experiences anger no matter what anybody says right like we all have <laughs> that emotion of anger but i think a lot of times people they they associate the emotion of anger with the behavior of aggression and so i think that sometimes you know um, people might even hold their own anger back because they never learned how to regulate or contain their emotions. Let's say they grew up in an environment with very emotionally volat volatile parents. And all they saw was like, oh, anger is explosive. Anger is dangerous. It hurts mm. people. It's terrifying. So that might be another reason why we might want to hold back our anger as well. You know, so really the, the goal to, to learning how to deal with anger is to find healthier ways to communicate the anger, to even understand sometimes, like, is what I'm feeling even anger? So especially growing up in an environment where, you know, um, maybe the parents weren't very um, emotionally, um, emotionally aware, um, uh, you know, mm. as a result, the parent might treat disappointment with anger. They might assume that frustration is anger. And so it's almost like growing up, then they only have three feelings, right? Happy, sad, and angry. 
but yeah, that's yeah. clearly not the case. And so, you know, that's <laughs> another, um, an, another, um, you know, important thing that we need to do in order to learn how to, to deal with our anger in a better way. Mm. Yeah, I can see, especially a lot of men, a lot of boys become adult men who can't express anger because uh, like as a boy, if they get angry and they're crying, like they'll be told like, oh, don't cry and that kind of stuff and be brave. <laughs> Yeah, yeah. yeah. And so it really, you know, I mean, exactly what you're saying right now, right? Like, be brave. So don't be scared. You know, don't, don't, um, don't worry, right? Like, and so Mm. it's like, just because a parent tells a child not to feel something, it doesn't mean they don't feel it. What they do is they just stop showing it. Yeah. And so what ends up happening is that those feelings just kind of stay within them. They don't know how to resolve them. Mm. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. My next question is, people used to say you are so mature for your age. Is this because I had no choice? I generally think so. Um, I I think that Mm. um, it's interesting because people that, you know, I guess children that um, were praised for being mature, they almost wear that as a badge of honor, right? It's like, oh, Mm. you're so obedient you're such a good girl. You're such a good boy. You know, you, you listen. Um, and you, you know, the thing is, is that children generally they're, they're again, they're curious, they're creative, they're trying to explore the world. So they are sometimes going to be all over the place. And so when you see a child who tends to be a little bit more mature for their age, what that means is that they've got this inner child that is being held back. So any curiosity of, again, going back to that example of in, any curiosity of wanting to go and climb, climb that couch right yeah. there, you know, if, if, if a child is, you know, yelled at or basically told like, that's bad, you're not supposed to do that, um, you know, and if they, let's say, want to, you know, go outside and play with all the rest of the kids and the parents are like, no, that's dangerous. What ends up happening is that all of these parts of them where they're trying to get to know the world, um, you know, where they want to be silly and laugh and play, it gets held back in replace, uh, you know, and, and in, re- in replacement, what um, they're expected to do is be responsible, be that good kid. Um, so a lot of times these are mm. the parentified children, right? Parentified children are those children that were kind of expected to ha- take on responsibilities that they just weren't developmentally ready for. Um, ready for yeah. yeah, so it could be parentified in a way where they were expected to take care of their younger siblings. Maybe they were expected to take care of themselves growing up. Um, you know, the, the origins of some of these kinds of um, childhood environments could be pe- parents that were always, you know, very busy working. So sometimes it wasn't even intentional neglect. It was, you know, out of necessity. Um, sometimes it could it could actually be neglectful parents, right? Like parents that maybe weren't ready to take care of a child and, you know, would still go out and kind of take care of their own needs versus tending to their children. Mm. Um, and another one, it could be authoritarian parents. So parents that really needed their children to kind of almost act like little adults. And so a lot of times these kids, yes. they were praised for being these little adults. And the problem with this is that, um, you, you know, they, it could create certain struggles for these children. So what I see a lot with parentified children is that they have a tendency to kind of see themselves as um, socially awkward. And the reason for socially awkward, uh, that they see themselves, I guess, as socially awkward is because, um, you know, they're mature for their age, right? Like they, hmm. they see other children as bad and, you know, and, and they tend to gravitate more towards adults because it feels good. I'm being accepted by these adults. Um, yeah. Yet at the same time, when they go to school, they don't know how to connect with their, with their peers. Um, you, you know, they, they have a negative view of their peers. They're maybe even sometimes afraid of their peers. And so they really lack that, that kind of connection and engagement that they need in order to get along with people of their own age and do things with people, you know, of yeah. their own age. Um, you know, another um, result could be a difficulty balancing rest with, with, uh, with work. 
So again, like these children, you know, if they were parentified and they were overly responsible, then, you know, for them, what felt good was gaining approval from their parents. So it was always about getting good grades, doing good work, helping around the house mm. versus sitting down and watching TV. You know, very rarely, like if yeah. they don't hear their parents say like, hey, you must be tired today. Why don't you go play? You know, if without that mm. dialogue in their head, then these children might never know like when to stop. Right. So like the more work their boss gives them, the more work they're going to try to do because there was there wasn't that that dialogue of like, hey, you know what? It, it's enough. That's too much work for you now. You need a rest. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 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 Yeah, because for children growing up, like that would be their complement is the approval they're looking for. But the, the long term effect, like you mentioned, that you might be socially awkward because people around you would behave a certain way and you might almost start looking down on them because you think they're kind of childish. Yes. Yeah. And yeah. that happens a lot, right? And and the more yeah. that we have these negative judgments of our peers, the more we're distancing ourselves from our peers, right? It's like, I'm better mm. than them. I'm more responsible than yeah. them. And we're not able to connect with maybe the part of our peers that kind of have this inner child. They are able to play out, right? So like, for instance, mm. with um, with my husband, I, I actually really love this part of him and I admire this part of him. If you look around my, my house, like, you have nothing but toys. Like he has, you know, remote control yeah. cars. He has a drone. <laughs> he has a scooter, just anything with wheels. And, it, you know, and I realized that I, if you look around me, like everything is just like psychology books. And, you know, so I think something that I really had to learn from my husband was I had to learn how to spend money and not feel bad about it. I had to learn how to sometimes spend money on taking care of me. So this kind of like relates back mm. to what I was saying earlier is that, you know, there was a lot of growth that had to happen. Um, you know, I had to be able to see that, yes, my sense of maturity was beneficial to our relationship but I also needed to make room for play as well and I think that's why he and I balance each other yeah. so well yeah <laughs> yeah he still wants to keep playing yeah which is good <laughs> which is which is good you know like like to say mm -hmm. inside all of us there's a, there's a child who's looking to play so <laughs> yeah I think so too keep that yeah next question sorry where do I keep finding myself in a dysfunctional relationship so I think that, um, you know, this, this is kind of similar to what we were talking about before, is that we tend to repeat things that we're familiar with. And it's not actually an intentional mm. thing. I think that a lot of times people assume um, that when we say that we repeat relationships or that we seek out people that look like our parents, like I think a lot of times there's this assumption that we're doing it on purpose and we're looking for somebody that looks that like treats us exactly like our parents. While that, you know, somewhat might be the case. So like, for instance, um, I was raised by a dad who had four girls and, you know, uh, they were finally able to get their boy at the very end. Um, yes, and yes. yeah, they, they really wanted my brother yeah. because, um, yeah, like they, they just they just wanted a boy. And but um, growing up, you know, it was just me and my three sisters and my dad is such a gentle soul when it comes to girls like never raise his voice at us always very present and caring and um, if we cried he would come comfort us um, and he was just a very loyal and good person and so for me growing up I think that it naturally would occur to me when I'm in a relationship and I'm being mistreated, it would naturally occur to me that like, I don't like that. Right. Like, so if, yes. if, you know, I was dating a person who would curse at me, um, that would feel very unfamiliar to me and because my dad yeah. was never like that. And so I would be able to recognize I don't, I don't like this and I don't want to be treated this way. That's not how I'm supposed to be treated by a man. The problem is that the opposite can also happen as well. 
is that when we don't know what it feels like to be cherished by somebody and, you know, when we grew up in an environment where we witnessed a lot of emotional or physical abuse, um, you know, maybe even um, neglect, then as adults, it might not occur to us as red flags when we when we're treated in these similar mm. ways right so if we grew up with a father who was very verbally abusive and we watched um our uh, mothers um tolerate it or maybe we learned how to tolerate it and this could go for having an abusive mother and a um you know and a child as well um then when we get older and somebody curses at us and mistreats us it we might assume like okay that's normal Right. And, and on top of that, we also yes, know yeah. how to respond to it. Right. Is that like, yes. yeah, we, we watched, yes. we watched you know what to deal with it. Right. So it's like, okay, my mom would just mm. tolerate it. You know, my mom would just justify it and, you know, maybe she would fight with my dad and then she'll forgive him right after. Right. So like we witness these things and we learn like, oh, okay, like I have a solution for that. Um, you know, and so that's why like we, you know, if we have a pattern of being in dysfunctional relationships, it's, Again, it's not intentional. It's just that we're so used to it and familiar with it that we might not recognize mm. when something is good for us or not good for us. Um, I think that when, one thing that we also tend to do is we might reenact certain maladaptive patterns. So even if the relationship didn't necessarily, necessarily start out as very dysfunctional, if we learned how to respond to certain things in a certain way, that could elicit certain responses from our partners. Um, so um, for instance, yeah. if we were raised by, um, you know, by a caregiver that was very dominant, then as adults, we might also learn how to dominate our partners. And when that happens, then it creates a cycle, you know, where our partners are constantly trying to achieve their independence, they might, you know, kind of, um, they, they might engage in dishonest behaviors, because, you know, where, because for them, it felt like, you know, they needed um, to, they needed some freedom, and, you know, and we're trying mm. to take away their freedom, right? So it can kind of yeah. sometimes create these dynamics that are very unhealthy. Yeah. So just really learning how to recognize like what are these unhealthy patterns that I keep repeating in my relationships? How does that relate to the relationships that I experienced or observed growing up? Um, and what can I do to make the changes so that I don't continue to repeat these these patterns? Yeah, especially when it's a, like a dysfunctional relationship where like we just say boy meets girl, the boy is not a nice person. <laughs> the girl stays with him and eventually realizes that. And then she'll find another one who's not really a nice person. It's just like a circle mm -hmm. they're going through. That's obviously because they're not aware of, they're just repeating what they know without taking a step back to see like, right. why do I keep finding this? <laughs> this mad yeah, man. This yeah. Man. Yeah. Yeah. Right, right. And then when they do find somebody that, you know, that treats them well, or is a mm. nice person, it might not be recognized by them. Yeah. as Oh, <laughs> you know, this is this is love, this is safe, you know, because they've never experienced it before. And so for them, it might be like, Oh, I don't like the way that yeah. this person buys me flowers. <laughs> you know, I don't like the way that this person calls me when I get home at the end of the night, you know. <laughs> Yeah. And, and I think that learning how to recognize like what is healthy and caring behavior, mm. what is, you know, what, what, what does it look like um, for somebody to, you know, truly love you? And how can I learn how to get in touch with, you know, that, 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 that feeling of being loved and being taken care of? You know, like mm. when we've never really experienced those feelings or there were certain unhealthy things that helped us feel that way. Um, so like, for instance, if growing up, the only way that you got love and attention was by doing exactly as your parents said, then as an adult, you might assume that, okay, I need to figure out what this person wants out of me. And I need to do exactly that in order to get love from them. 
the truth is, is that as humans, we're supposed to just be lovable the way that we are. <laughs> yeah. Right. Yeah. Like, yeah. Without, yeah. And sure. And so we don't necessarily have to earn that love. But when we felt like we had to earn the love growing up, then as an adult, then we we were will continue to, you know, be really confused when somebody just gives us love without doing anything. It's yeah, like, oh, that person keeps chasing yeah. me and I'm not even giving them anything. Like, what's wrong with them? <laughs> you get a bit suspicious. What's what's going on here? <laughs> right, right. It's like, that's not right. Like, this this person must be weird. Like, this must, yeah, person must yeah. be a loser, right? Yeah. You fit into the loser or weird category. <laughs> right, yeah. right. Yeah. Brilliant. Um, and I have another question here, which is not related to that. What do you do for fun? Ooh, what a good question. <laughs> what do I do for fun? Um, my gosh, fun. You got me there. Cause, cause it, 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 <laughs> I, I, I was raised to be a parentified child. <laughs> if you don't already, already notice. Um, so, so I guess when, when we say fun, um, the thing that I think about is what do I do in my spare time? Um, yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> because, and, and the reason why I think that that's such an important distinction is because my husband, he does have fun, right? Like growing up, he got to explore and he always tells me all these stories of like going on adventures and, um, you know, mm. and for me, um, you know, when I think about my childhood, I mean, I don't want to necessarily say that I didn't really have fun, but it was very subdued. So I played a lot of house, you know, with my siblings. Um, <laughs> we played teacher a lot. So kind of like serious, responsible kind of stuff. Um, not a whole mm, lot of right, like yeah. going out and, you know, adventure and stuff like that. But one of the things that I guess does, um, you know, does help me tap into, I guess, that fun part sometimes is um, yeah. <laughs> I used to like roller coasters. Um, I do kind of like, like things that are thrilling. So for example, it's funny because mm. I can't swim, but I, my husband and I, every time we visit like a beach kind of city for, for vacation, we always look for these, these tours, um, these boat trips that go really, really fast. And they're very, very dangerous. And he's always like, boat. yeah, like a speedboat. And and he's like, I don't understand. He's like, you can't swim. How are you so brave? I was like, well, it's because you're here. Like, that's literally the reason why I feel comfortable going out to sea on these like really bumpy speedboats yeah. going 35 miles per hour. Um, is because I feel safe and I feel secure that he's going to jump in to save me. Mm. You know? So I guess in a way, you know, that, you know, that continues to go, go to show like what, what security really is about, right? It's like just being able to trust that this person mm. has your back. But yeah, like what I like to sometimes do for fun is kind of sometimes doing these things that are a little bit scary for me that I've never really done before. Um, that's how yeah. I kind of tap into fun. But aside from that, what I do in my spare time is I love running. So just two days ago, I ran um, a half marathon in Las Vegas. And that was, uh, I, I really, really oh, love cool. that. Yeah, like that brings me back to yeah. my high school days because I used to run track and cross country. Um, <laughs> but yeah, like, you, you know, I like I like running. Yeah. I like, um, you know, just kind of walking around, um, you know, like nice neighborhoods with my husband. Like I like walking around like beach mm. cities and things <laughs> like that. So just more relaxing kind of things. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's great. <laughs> that's great. Now, I always like to know, like, because you, like you, your profession, because it's so, I use the word serious. You don't really think that you guys have fun, but it's nice to know. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> you know, I, I, I can, I can definitely agree with that. And the, the nice thing though, is that I've had a lot of, um, a, a lot of people tell me that, um, they like my, I guess, bounciness. Um, and, and I guess that that's one of the things I've always liked about myself is that I do have a sense of humor. I do like to joke with people a lot. Yeah. Um, I am generally a people person. Um, sometimes when I am around people, I can be a people person, but 
you know, when I'm not around people, then I generally like to just kind of be by myself and, you know, and, and, um, and rest. But yeah, I mean, I, I guess I, I could have a fun side too. <laughs> yeah. Brilliant. <laughs> brilliant. And my last question is where are you online? What's the name of your website? So my website, Instagram. my website is www.drbetsychung.com. And if anybody's interested in following me on Instagram, um, I talk a lot about healthy relationships and self-esteem. Uh, my Instagram handle is lovealwaysdrbetsy. Sweet. Brilliant. Thank you very much. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> If you have enjoyed this episode, I would really appreciate it if you could leave a quick review on my Facebook page, Don't Be Afraid to Talk, or DM me on Instagram. The show notes will include all the relevant links from today's episode. If you haven't already, please download, leave a rating, and share with your friends. You might just reach the person who needs to hear this message. Please be sure to subscribe so you don't miss any episodes. I am James Lumumba, signing off with gratitude.